You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. I sent in an email to all those of you that are members or mission partners on Thursday asking you to consider joining me in what I feel like the Lord is leading me to do with a fast. And, and it's called the Daniel Fast. And, and uh, the Daniel Fast comes out of um, the book of Daniel. And, uh, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about like the nuances of it. But I want to ask you to consider taking this step of uh, faith with me and, and joining me in this fast. It actually is going to start tomorrow, and it's going to end on um, the uh, February 23rd, which is also the day of our vision dinner, where we, we talk about and cast vision for um, 2014. There are a couple of reasons that you would fast, um, and, and I want to say that me saying that I feel like the Lord is, is, is impressing on me to lead the church to do a fast, it's not me saying if you don't do it, you're sinning. I, I don't think that's the case. It, it, it wouldn't be for everybody, but for some of you, maybe you would feel compelled to join me. A fast is, and there's all kinds of fasts that we could talk about or do, and, and we've just picked Daniel's fast because it's pretty clear on what you can and can't eat. A fast is not a diet. Um, a fast is a, is a time of sacrifice where you sacrifice something that you know you need, which is food, some forms of food, and um, and in, in hopes that you can be even more focused on receiving from the Lord. And so during this fast, uh, I'm going to challenge you to focus on one area of our eight mission measures, and um, and I'll communicate more about this. But for me, one thing that I'm asking God to do is to give me an even greater focus and sense of discernment in my times of prayer and, uh, and just power in, in prayer. And so that's one of our eight mission measures. We, we believe that we ought to be a praying people. And, um, and so that, that's it for me, but I'm going to ask you and challenge you in this way. I, I think it would be good if you would consider doing it. And if your first reaction to it is like, oh, that's weird, that sounds too whatever, well, you know, it is kind of weird. Because what we're saying is we're so wanting God to do something powerful in our lives that we're willing to reorient our eating habits in hopes that God will use that active sacrifice to fill us up with something. We, we, we stop something so we can get something from the Lord. What will happen to you during your fast? I don't know. What will happen to us as a church? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that we need the Lord to work powerfully in our church. We need the Lord to make what we're doing here more than religious exercise, more than um, just a place that people show up every couple times a month because it's, you know, kind of a good thing to do. We need God's Spirit to be doing something in our midst that when people come and ask us about it, we say, I don't know. I don't know how we're doing it. I don't know what, but God's doing something special. We need God's power in your life so that when you're sharing the good news with people that are on your list of four that you're reaching out to, that there's effectiveness in that witness. So I'm going to ask you and challenge you to join me in a fast. And obviously, you're going to have questions about, well, what, is it, what does a fast mean? Well, the Daniel fast is, is in its simplest form like this. You drink water only. You eat vegetables, fruits, and beans, beans and nuts. So no meats, no dairy. And so at the very least, there are health benefits to it for the season, right? It's 21 days. That's what Daniel did. Uh, three weeks, so that's what we're going to do. 
or that's what I'm going to do. And uh, several from our leadership have already committed to joining us in this way. Now, if you have health issues, I would not want to be, um, I'm not a doctor. And so maybe what you ought to do is consult your doctor before you join us in this. Um, but, but I just trust that the Lord will call some of you all to join me in this fast. If you have questions, and as I have talked to my own wife about this, as we've both committed to doing this for the next 21 days, uh, her first thing was, well, what are we going to eat? You know, I've got to, we have to eat and we have to figure it out. So she has worked very hard to find, um, you know, recipes, things that work on the Daniel fast. And it's not about starving yourself at all. It's about sacrificing things that we're, we're really used to. And again, giving something up so we can receive something from the Lord. That's very simply what fasting is. So what I would like to do is offer you an email address that you can ask your questions um, for. Do we have that by chance? I kind of gave it to you late in the game. But um, fasting at neartownchurch.org. So if you have questions about what you can eat or ideas for eating uh, on this fast, then then do that. And then I'm going to actually let my wife be the point person on that, and she'll be answering your questions. She's got a lot of good things to say. She went to the grocery store yesterday. So, so if this is the first time you're hearing about it, then maybe you want to wait till, till Wednesday to start it or whatever, but um, I just want to encourage you this. Again, my heart in this very much is to challenge you unapologetically. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to apologize for challenging you to take a, this spiritual step of faith. Um, but my heart also is to just say, Lord, we, we want your power in our midst. We, we want to experience you more deeply than we are. We want you to move us into 2014 with a great, a great harvest. So that, that's my heart. So with that in mind, um, we're going to look to God's word to listen to him. So uh, before I do that, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. God, you are an awesome God. I pray, God, that your spirit would work. God, I just want to talk a lot about Jesus today. I believe, God, that if, if I lift up Jesus, that you'll draw people to yourself, God. And everybody in here comes from a different place with their religious background or non-religious experience or, or whatever. God, everybody comes here to the same place. And God, so I pray we would simply lift up Jesus and point people to see Jesus for who he is and then that your spirit would call us to, to respond to that, God. We've said some really weighty things to you and about you in our music. So God, I pray that we would now listen to you as we continue this conversation in worship. I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. John chapter two, verses 13 through 22 is where I'm going to be this morning. Um, I've already asked you how many of you are gonna be watching the Super Bowl. Who, who thinks that the Denver Broncos is gonna win? Yeah, a few of you all. Any Seahawks fans out there? Yeah, did y'all hear the story about this, this man by the name of Tim Connors? He's a Seahawks fan, and he was so convinced that he predicted the win at the beginning of the season. Now, it's not uncommon for somebody to predict a win for their favorite team. Let me show you how he predicted the win. He predicted the win by getting it tattooed on his arm at the beginning of the season. Can you believe that? This guy, Tim Connors... As of about 9 o'clock tonight, is either going to be somewhat of a prophet, right? He made the prediction and he's right, or he's going to be an absolute fool. He predicted the win. Well, he was not the only person throughout history to make a prediction. You know, Jesus made a prediction. In this passage today, Jesus predicts something near the end of it where he says, this temple is going to fall and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. 
He makes an awesome prediction. In fact, for someone to do something that might desecrate the temple, that was a capital offense in the first century. And so for Jesus to say that when this temple falls, I am going to rebuild it, it it's very scandalous. But he predicts a win. So this is where we're going today. Uh, and we start in um, verse 13. So read along with me if you have a Bible. Chapter 2, verse 13 is where we are. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Now, um, the Passover is, is this celebration. It's a festival that the Jews had every year. And uh, what they were remembering at Passover, at this Passover festival, was a time in their own history, hundreds of years before, when their people were delivered from, the, uh, from slavery to the Egyptians into what will eventually be like a, the promised land for them. You may remember the story of Moses. Does that name ring a bell, Moses? Well, Moses was the one that was chosen by God to lead them through slavery. They'd been in slavery for hundreds of years. Well, this was an occasion of celebration. In fact, in the Old Testament, anytime they wanted to talk about God's goodness, his power, they would reference this event, the Exodus. They had a festival to celebrate it. And so the Passover was at, for the, of the Jews was at hand, and it is the kind of epicenter of the celebration for Passover is in Jerusalem, in and around the temple, which the temple was like a church. But in those days, the church was different or the synagogue, or the temple was different than the way we think about church because here there's churches scattered all over the place. I mean, the church is the, the collection of called out ones or people that confess Christ. But in this day, the, the place that God met with people in worship was this building called the temple. The spirit was not given to everyone. The spirit was given to certain people at a certain time in a certain way. And at this building called the temple that was in Jerusalem, uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, could go to kind of the outer areas, but the Jews, God's chosen people, could move into kind of the inner area. And then only the the priests or the most uh, religious, most esteemed religious leaders called by God, chosen by God, could go into the very central areas of this building. So the space of the temple was very important. The, the, the temple was the focal point for people, for religious, for, for people to meet with God. So it was the focal point where man would meet with God was at this, this area called the temple, which is where uh, the events that we're talking about happen, okay? So the Passover of the Jews was at hand. The population of Jerusalem has has swelled. I mean, there are Jews that live there, but there are also Jews that live outside of Jerusalem. So they've come into Jerusalem uh, for this event. There's lots of people. Verse 14, we, the setting is the temple. Something's happening. In the, in the temple, um, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And everybody go, <gasps> all right, ready to go? Here you go. Thank you. So in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but here's the problem. The sacredness of worship was lost. There were religious leaders and temple authorities who were supposed to make sure that the, the events in this temple were, were worshipful and sacred and holy and reverent, but they, uh, for whatever reason, didn't use their authority to do it. So Jesus assumes this place of authority. Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. 
And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of commerce or a house of trade or don't make it a market. So instead of solemn dignity and the murmur of prayer, there is the bellowing of cattle and the bleating of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration and prolonged petition, there is noisy commerce. Again, the temple is the place where man is to meet with God. But instead of that being a holy and sacred place, it had become about consumerism. These Jewish people that traveled maybe from a long distance, some of them, coming into Jerusalem, they needed animals to sacrifice. And so their actual needing of animals to sacrifice wasn't the issue. It was the fact that the commerce, the the money-making, the exchanging of product had become the theme of the temple. They were money changers. People had to pay a temple, a, a temple tax, and it had to be in a certain form. Uh, certain, um, oh, what's the word? Um, type of coin. Um, currency, thank you. So, but there was different types of currency. So when they came in, they'd exchange money, and typically there was a fee. The money changers charged a fee to exchange money, just like it happens today. So what was going on in the temple was about consumerism. It was not sacred. It was not holy. And Jesus saw this as a problem. So he raised his voice. I want you to think about that. The authorities were not doing what they should have been doing. So Jesus came in and raised his voice. Now, I think around my home, my kids know that I have a certain voice. I'll tell you this. Mama's got a voice. When she raises her voice... There is, there is a different feel in the room. Jesus raises his voice, and so there's a different feel. Something is going to change. Now, I want you to notice, notice something. Jesus is doing this in front of his fledgling group of followers, these disciples, some of whom are following Jesus merely because someone they trust, John the Baptist, told them to follow Jesus. I mean, you remember that from a few weeks ago. So Jesus has this group of followers. I can imagine their faith during this time. I mean, up to this point in John's gospel, what has Jesus done? He's shown up on the scene. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He calls some disciples. He invites them to a party. He turns water into wine. I mean, at this point, the disciples are thinking, this guy is really awesome. I mean, he is very popular, Everybody's going to like him. He can do things that are beyond the natural into the supernatural realm. So they follow him gladly and maybe innocently and naively into the temple. And Jesus goes in and starts establishing his authority and starts creating division between himself and the religion of the day. This is significant. Maybe they thought to themselves as they were off in a corner watching Jesus do this. Maybe they thought to themselves, is this how the Messiah is supposed to behave? Is this how our, the promised one is supposed to come? Is he supposed to be 
almost angry when he finds something he doesn't like. But, but, but there they are in the corner and they remember a passage of scripture from the Old Testament, their scripture, Psalm 69.9. See, look at verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. It's a quotation of Psalm 69.9, which speaks of the righteous one, of the Messiah who had a zeal for the house of the Lord. He has a zeal for the meeting place for God and man, as you would expect. There's a zeal in Jesus for things to be right in worship. Let me ask you a question. What in your life exhibits zeal for something? Where in your life is there zeal for something? I mean, we all have zeal for different kinds of things, things that get us out of bed and get us to work. We have zeal for our children and the health of our homes and maybe a, your, your, your business, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, but you ever, have you ever had zeal for something, too much zeal for something that was misplaced or misguided? Speaking of tattoos, maybe you didn't notice this guy that's a Seahawks fan, but maybe you noticed the guy that's the Texans fan, Chris Brown the beginning of the season, got this tattooed on his arm. He was asked, not the musician Chris Brown, I think it's a different Chris Brown. Um, He was asked, well, why'd you do this? He said, well, my favorite player, Daniel Manning, said that if you want to win the Super Bowl, you have to think Super Bowl. So he went and got a tattoo. Now, I'm, I want to, as a side note, I'm not against tattoos. I'm against stupid tattoos. <laughs> so Chris Brown had a zeal for something that might have been a little, little much, right? I mean, about third game in the season. Have you ever had zeal for something that you should? I mean, that's, that's kind of a thing that we have to regularly ask ourselves. I mean, here we see Jesus, our Lord, having a zeal for the worship and the and the. The sacredness of man connecting with God, this place, this temple. And when that got out of balance, he had zeal to make sure it stopped. Of course, the passage, this zeal for your house will consume me, leads us to believe that he will eventually be consumed by his zeal, which we know just a few years later he is crucified for his zeal for the worship, the right worship of God. This zeal that Jesus had will ultimately lead to his death. Is your zeal, whatever you are zealous for, is that thing worth dying for? Jesus had a concern for the cleansing of the temple, and it testifies to his concern for pure worship. Look at verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. This is his prediction. The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Clarification. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, their question hints at their curiosity as to whether or not he was actually the Messiah. If they thought he was merely a crazy person that was doing something illegal, then they would have just squashed it and immediately arrested him and gotten rid of him. 
But his presence in the temple, his attempt to establish his authority as someone who could tell people how the temple is supposed to operate in, in, uh, in holiness and in, in reverence, it, it, it created curiosity in these religious leaders as to whether or not he was actually the Messiah. So they're asking him, by whose authority do you do these things? I mean, it's kind of like saying, who do you think you are coming in here? I mean, Jesus is taking a place in their life. Have you ever experienced Jesus like that? Sometimes we say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And he says, well, I want to take this place in your life. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think you are? I want to give you the part of my life that is religious uh, choice, you know, where I church, what church I go to, what friends I hang out with, what, moral, what morality I choose. I'll take that part of Jesus. But when Jesus comes along and says, I want for you to decrease so that I can increase. I want you to die to yourself so that I can live. We start going, oh, well, by whose authority did you come into this temple and start doing that kind of stuff? I'm out of here. And we start saying things like, well, you know, <laughs> the church is for weird people. Jesus is establishing authority in the temple. And Jesus, this is the way he operates. When Jesus enters our life, he establishes and takes authority. Well, his answer in response to them is a bit cryptic. He, he, he says something that makes them th- think that the physical building they're standing in is going to fall, which is what they pick up on, and they immediately think, oh, no, there's no way. But what he's actually doing is he's predicting the day, just three years later, when his temple, the temple, the meeting place between God and man, which is the person of Jesus Christ, is going to fall. Do you get that? The temple, here is this building, but Jesus is taking this and saying, I'm the new temple. Jesus is the place where God and man meet. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. This is the new way to God. His body will be destroyed, but it'll be raised from the dead. And then verse 22, it's in looking back, John has said, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Just a couple of things drawing this to a close. First of all, Jesus is the new temple. The temple itself pointed forward to a better and final meeting point between God and human beings. Jews had to go to a physical location in Jerusalem, but Christians get direct access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith in Jesus grants us access to the Father. This is why we don't have to go to a physical building and offer sacrifices with shed blood. Because Jesus is the new temple. So the question for you is, will you respond in faith to this truth? Will you believe so that you can have life? Some of you have, some of you have not. Do you believe that Jesus is the new temple? He provides access to God. He is the meeting place between God the Father and you. This is the good news that God provided a meeting place for you. Second thing we see in drawing this to a close is that, you know, there's something really supernatural about gathering for worship. And this is an opportunity maybe for help, me to help 
kind of shape even what happens during this time as we gather as a church. Um, this is a sacred time. I, um, I wonder sometimes if the sort of casualness that I approach this, even when I dress or the place that we meet, maybe it leads us at times to, to miss the truth that this, this hour of gathering before God the Father is really important. It is holy and sacred for people to come together in the name of Jesus and to sing songs to God. I mean, we can do that with confidence. We can approach the throne of God in that way. But, but God forbid we ever become so leisurely about entering into the presence of God that we do it disrespectfully or do it in a way that is mere kind of afterthought. Gathering for worship is sacred. We, we don't have to offer sacrifices for sin. Jesus was the final sacrifice who erased sin. I mean, that's something to worship God for. But we do have to gather. Hebrews 11 says, or Hebrews 4.11 says, don't, don't give up. Sorry, Hebrews 11 says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to meet together and encourage one another. You know, in the very first gathering of believers, they got together and, and discussed the apostles' teaching. They sang songs together. They had meals together. It's sacred time. First Corinthians 16, Paul's telling the Corinthians, when you get together once a week, this is where we get this practice of getting together. You don't have to come to church to be a Christian, but I really believe that every sincere follower of Christ will naturally be drawn to gather with other believers for encouragement and for prayer. And, and so just, just really practically, and I don't want to beat anybody up, and I, I love you, and if you were late today, don't, don't feel like I have you in mind right now, but, but really practically, it's important that you're on time. If you're consistently late to this hour, then it says something about how important you think it is. And you say, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't know. You know what? My wife gets four kids here every week by herself. I don't feel sorry for you. I really don't. Be on time. It's not that hard. If you say, well, I can't, I've got to drop the kids off, drive them off, hustle up here. Be here for worship. It's really ridiculous that when we start the first song, there's 12 people in the room. And you know what? Usually of those 12, there's two or three guests that are looking around going, oh, this is really important to the people that are in this church. And someone would say to me, well, Russell, uh, that's just our day. People are late. It didn't work. It just didn't work for me. Be on time. That's important. Be consistent. People show up here at 7 o'clock in the morning to set up so that you can have uh, 60 to 75 minutes of really deep experience with the Lord. And I think if you casually walk in the back 15 minutes late, then it probably says something about whether or not you are... Entering this room with reverence. So if that makes you mad, uh, I'm sorry. That won't be the most challenging thing I ever say to you, but it's important. Be on time and come consistently. It, it, uh, if, if attending the church is an afterthought, then um, something is out of balance. If, ex, if your extended family monopolizes you to the point where it keeps you from being able to attend church on a regular basis, then clearly they don't know how important God is is to you. You need to tell them, no, I can't do that.
because I want to gather for the worship of Almighty God, the same God who put on flesh in the form of a man. He came and laid his life down on a cross for me. That's what gets me to worship. So I just want us to, to feel this. And I believe that I, I thought a lot about something that Matt Hammond said to me a couple of weeks ago. Matt, is, um, Matt and Cameron, are, who are leading us um, here in, in songs, because they are meeting us and we're meeting them about them being the people to lead us on a regular basis on Sunday morning worship and music. And that's an important decision as a church, right? To make sure that that's a good relationship. Cameron has jokes, and so I like that. That's one in the like four column, you know? Um, but he said something to me that I've thought about probably every day since he said it. He said to me, um, do we want people asking, when you come to worship, what do the church leaders have for me? Or do we want people asking, what does God have for me? I want to be very clear. I want for you to enter into this place as, as a meeting place between God and man. I want for you to enter into this place with the question, what does God have for me? And if we have that attitude, then we will get here consistently, we'll get here on time. Gathering for worship is sacred. That Take that as a gentle rebuke, but I love you and I will hug you after the service if you got your feelings hurt. But worship is important. We're, ask, here's, we're, we're asking God, you know what we're doing? We're, we're planting a church in the center of the fourth largest city of the United States. We're, we're taking the good news, which is foolishness to those that are perishing according to the Bible. And we're trying to live our lives in such a way that reflect this message that says that we're separated from God because of our sin, but God has made a way as an act of great love by providing Jesus who died for our sin and was raised for the dead so we can have new life. This is what we're doing. This is what we believe. This is what we die for. One year ago today, the very first man I met in this mission of planting a church and led to Christ and baptized, was murdered. One year ago today. And around that, this time of year, I've asked myself the question, am I so committed to this? Do I believe in this enough that I would be willing to die for it? And let me tell you something, I would. I mean, I'm not trying to tell you that because I think that, you know, like, I'm so great. I'm just saying, like, it's because God has is, is, is changed my life, and I believe God has a good message that is heralded through us to people all around us. I, I, I believe that and that's what we're doing. And so my, my charge to you is to see Jesus as the new temple and worthy of your life as the meeting place between God and man and, and let him establish authority in your life. Not that just the kind of authority that gives you good moral practice, like don't cheat on your wife and don't cheat on your taxes or don't lie. All those kinds of things that are a part of Christianity, but you know, they're a part of a lot of other world religions. The things that make us different is that we believe that Jesus is worth dying for and that Jesus is alive, still working today. And he's worked in our lives, not because of anything that we've earned, but because God has been gracious towards us. That's what distinguishes us. And so let's live with that message. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.